It is a cold, blistering cold Sunday night in the great state of Oklahoma. It is through the keyhole. It is the first official, we don't have to put any quotes around it, official off-season podcast through the keyhole. As always, I'm joined alongside Peyton Guthrie, Matt Burton. Boys, how was uh, how was New Year's? New Year's was pretty good for me. I went down. I was hung out. I hung out with Brady from Wednesday all the way to Saturday. Got to enjoy some Oklahoma City. Got to enjoy some uh, putting Brady through some uh, vicious workouts, uh, trying to get, get him ready for the for the next year and everything. But no, it was pretty low key, pretty good. Then I had to bail pretty early. I missed uh, missed the uh, New York Six uh, New York Six Bowls. New Year's uh, Six Bowl. Uh, Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl, mainly most of those trying to get out of Oklahoma City before it got too bad, making that drive back down. I was driving back and it was starting to kind of, you know, freeze on the window shield, uh, windshield and everything. So, but other than that, it was a pretty good time. Matt? It was a good time, man. I had to do um, Thunder post game on, on New Year's <laughs> Eve. Uh, so, but it was good because I was at Flint. Um, so they take great care of us there. They were feeding us some drinks. Uh, me, I got to bring my girlfriend too. So it was a good night, man. It was a good night. I can't complain. Talked about some thunder and you know, had some drink, had some good drinks. How's your voice since you uh, did radio every hour of every day last week? Dude, and I got lucky. I didn't have to do thunder today <laughs> because of the Cowboys Cardinals game that was going on. So, uh, man, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky though. I'm, I'm glad I got to do it. It was awesome. The, the morning shows, they're, they're a little rough, man. They're a little rough getting up at 5 a.m. That's if I'm, you're not, not used to I'm it. Used to. Yeah. 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 If you're not used to it, they're brutal. Brutal, they're, man. Like, and I, like, I'm sure once I got used to it, it would be fine. But man, I, I, I love Todd Lisenby. I still think he's kind of a lunatic from doing 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. every single day. Yeah. I mean, no doubt he is, but it's which I guess he had to sacrifice some hours, I guess, with everybody else that's out up there. So, anyways. Rose to that. Pete, you missed the freaking Rose Bowl? How did you miss that game? Well, one, Brady and I were in there getting it done uh, at a 24-7 uh, fitness down in Oklahoma City. Um, or, or is it anytime? I can't remember which one it is. Yeah, anytime. Uh, anytime. Sorry, man. 24-7 is a, a competing company. At Anytime Fitness, Brady and I were down there getting it in, making sure he was set up for, for the New Year's. It was a little TV off on the side. Uh, it, was, it was pretty cool. I mean, I saw the highlights and stuff. It's, it seemed like a lot of back and forth. Um, I can't believe Kyle Winningham just screwed the ending sequence up so poorly, so badly. They had a chance to win that game, even after Cam Rising went down. That was just (sighs) – when you're out-talented that much, you just can't mess up, and they just kept messing up. (laughs) Well, they kept running the same damn defense at them. They are like, all right, they're going to either play cover one man or they just dropped into cover two, which is what they did the entire season from, like, a one-high safety look and, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I think C.J. Stroud's obviously proven now that he's got a chance to be a really, really good quarterback in 2022. But give a quarterback, a young quarterback, some easy stuff, and you have a guy like Jackson Smith and Jigba. We're going to dive into uh, the Rose Bowl and the rest of New Year's Day games here at the end, though. All right. It is a new year. I do want to mention this off the top. 
we do have some advertisers lined up over the next couple months. You guys will be hearing about them. Um, but I do want to open up to anybody listening to this. You can hit me up. That's Keegan Renault. Peyton Guthrie on Twitter. That's at Peyton Glenn. Matt, I left you out of this. But if you want to hit up our, uh, key, our uh, Twitter account at Keyhole Pod, anybody listening uh, in the Oklahoma City, Dallas area specifically, we are interested in that. Make an announcement. As always, it's the off season. Um, as I said off the top, where we'll do two Patreon podcasts, Tuesday, Thursday. Uh, they won't specifically just be us all the time. We'll have interviews up from college football experts across the country, uh, local beat writers here in the state of Oklahoma that cover OU and Big 12 SEC football at large. So um, if you guys are interested in that, that's at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. But we will do one free on Sunday every night, like the one you guys are listening to right now. And if you are listening, please make sure to go subscribe, leave a nice comment, and five-star review. Boys, let's get right off the top here. Some house cleaning to do. Javante Barnes, top one, top 200, top 150 running back in the country, top one, not running back in the country, player in the country. On rivals, he's the fourth best running back. Much needed, Peyton Guthrie. Much, much, much needed for uh, for Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the fear I had for OU losing Riley and transitioning to, to Brent Venerables, uh, just very basic fears. Can OU keep this up? So I want to throw some numbers at you really quickly, just on a broader perspective that speaks a little bit more than just about Jonathan Barnes. And I had just a, a golden tweet that I, that I immediately regretted sending uh, out uh, about his commitment. Uh, go check that out, guys. Uh, <laughs> pun, strained pun headlines uh, type tweet there. But in 2018, according to all 24-7, 2018 uh, was a 54% BCR, 2019, 66%, 2020, 60%, 2021, 81%. So there's a massive jump in percentage that way. Um, I mean, OU being able to keep this together, you know, Brent Vendel's able to keep this class above 80%, and it seems like it has a potential to just continue going north of that 80% mark um, with some of the stuff that we've heard and some of the people that may be committing. There's a couple of San Diego kids, a couple of Michigan kids uh, that seem like they may be looking at uh, OU uh, for the February signing day. Uh, that was my main fears. Can they keep this up? And now looking at those type of numbers, just raw numbers, obviously, and seeing where OU was and where OU is now, I mean, it's a 20% upgrade uh, of where they were recruiting just, you know, three, two years ago. So if OU can keep this stuff up, we're looking at OU being just fine for the SEC move and just fine uh, for the immediate future. Now, some stuff could happen. But anyway, OU being able to keep a uh, high-level uh, offensive player is just fantastic. Uh, I would assume, Keegan, is he an early enrollee? Do we know? That's what it reads like, but I'm not 100% on that. Yeah, I would assume. I mean, I, I hope he's an early enrollee, and I th probably the, the depth is the reason why he stayed. His, he kept his commitment. I mean, DeMarco is a fantastic recruiter, obviously. He's done the stuff. He's got skin on the walls when it comes to NFL and college uh, his college performances. But the recruiting side of it hadn't all the way been there. And Keegan, I know you talked about it on Twitter some about kind of killing the myth. He really hadn't done too much, <laughs> uh, in my opinion. But I think you can start kind of putting some of those things to bed fully. 
being able to keep uh, Saul Chuck and be able to keep Barnes. I mean, where do you think about the health of this running back room and him being added to it? Like, what does he bring to the team? So initially, so he didn't play a junior year, if I saw this correctly. So we have sophomore tape and we have senior tape. Okay. Now, obviously, this is recency bias because Baylor played last night. He runs a lot like the Ebner kid, the speed back that Baylor had, not Abram Smith, but number one. Uh, he reminds me a lot of him. Early on, I thought a lot of Alex Collins, the running back that was at Arkansas, that was with the Seahawks for a little bit. Um but he's got some short-term burst to his game that I think kind of makes him a little unique. Um, a lot like what the tri- tri- uh, Ebner kid, Eb- I don't know, Treston Ebner is his name, um, from Baylor, which reminds me a lot of him. So I, th- I think he's going to play quite a bit early. I think him and Sawchuck are due for some playing time. But to your point, Peyton, the running back room remains thin. I mean, like, just because they landed two backs in this class – um, doesn't mean that it's not like, you know, next year they're going to need to land two more running backs. Usually you can kind of get into that phase maybe where you can go all in on one year and land one guy or land multiple. Um, Oklahoma needed to land two. They were supposed to land three uh, with Relique Brown. Obviously, uh, he is heading to USC. Oklahoma up to number 12, by the way, on Rivals. Rivals does not include the Jaron Canick who hasn't made an announcement quite yet. He is included on 24-7. When Oklahoma, when that is included, Peyton, they will have the number 10 class on both websites, which is obviously mm-hmm. a major, major plus. And then finally for me, um, for my end of things, at least within this segment, yeah, it's tough because like DeMarco Murray comes in and Donovan Edwards, obviously that's up at Michigan. He's a Michigan kid. Uh, that was a guy that I think Oklahoma would have had a really good chance to land if, if kids could have taken official visits last year. Trevion Henderson, everybody saw him play for Ohio State. Kind of the same conversation. Um, that would have been a lot tougher battle, I think, than, uh, than Edwards with Michigan. But DeMarco Murray, I think the biggest thing was middle of the way through last year, you know, you start to hear a little bit about his recruiting approach. And, you know, good for him, like, not every kid is going to love the flair, you know, flying on private jets in the off season all the time and wearing Rolexes and having nice cars and you now all that fun stuff with DeMarco Murray being such an investor uh, in a way away from Oklahoma football and those things. But he found what seems to be three kids that believe in that, that, that that's kind of the lifestyle that they want to live. And that's the, you know, they want to be mentored by DeMarco Murray into that same sense. So Obviously, a lot of the conversation and things I just said were in regards to Kamar Wheaton's recruitment, and that kid's weird, very, very weird. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows it at this point. But I do think DeMarco kind of had to go through some growing pains on the recruiting trail of instead of just showing up with an OU logo on and saying you're DeMarco Murray and you have all this money and you have this, it seems like Peyton from the outside looking in, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it seems like he took a lot more personable relationship driven approach with these 2022 kids. And it, it, it looks like it panned out. I mean, that'd be my guess, um, you know, not fully understanding or being completely inside the room. Um, watching some of these, some of these recruiting battles, I think with, with Wheaton, he was just like feet on the ground, having to get something figured out first year into it and just kind of just misread the kid. 
These guys, he's been talking to them for two plus years now. So it's just a little bit different of a thing. Um, and plus, I mean, why not get coached by one of the better college football running backs of all time? I mean, same concept as the uh, as the um, cornerback commit who flipped to Jacksonville, uh, Jackson State. I mean, why not get coached by a Hall of Fame uh, defensive back sure. um, when you want to do all that stuff? So I think that stuff kind of makes sense. Um, you you would you would potentially think that the whole Rolex wearing you know jet flying limousine riding type of thing uh, wouldn't work out uh, for those kids and, and for Demarco kind of moving forward, especially with the you know nil the way it is and everything and it just doesn't seem to be text it doesn't seem to be ou's front um you know first sales pitch like it may be at a texas or something like that so it does seem like it was and is much more of a relationship thing and then to look at your comparison here i'm going to push back a little bit on the uh on the ebner um comparison now i'm just looking at raw stat times and stuff they're verified by the way verified and you know tristan was tristan ebner was running a four four in high school verified results, Jonathan, uh, John Dontavian, sorry, or how you say his name? Javante. I'm horrible. Javante. <laughs> he's, he's got a four, five, three. So it's, it's a different type of athlete. It's more of a Kennedy Brooks ish type of top end speed, a little bit faster than Kennedy Brooks. So I think he's has a potential to be that type of a guy. I may end up being um, a full second faster than when Brooks runs at the combine. Yeah. A 10th of a second. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Not full yeah. seconds. Right, tenth. Yeah. Um, I think you're looking at probably more of a sturdy back who has the ability to pick up yards, probably runs pretty smooth, but I don't know if he's going to be a, a, a dude who's burning through, you know, burning through the hole and see you later 80 yards down the field type of guy. No, for sure. No. And I'm with you completely. I, there's just a couple clips that he has from a senior tape man that like from his ability to separate from the second level defenders to the third level defenders, I think is fantastic. And that explosiveness, I think, can obviously land him some runs that end in the end zone. So uh, that's kind of the house cleaning portions of this podcast. Since this is our first offseason podcast, I think it's a perfect time to kind of take a step back, look at how the season went. We're not going to go into game-by-game situations because I don't want you guys to have to drag through a listen of talking about the Kansas game that happened in Lawrence. We're just going to act like that didn't happen. Uh, from a coaching grade. Through the Keyhole is brought to you by Uptown Anytime Fitness. That is Anytime Fitness on 23rd and Walker. The best gym in Oklahoma City, if you ask me. And I know that for a fact because I've been using it for just about two years and I couldn't love it anymore. Perfect size, perfect amount of equipment. And we're even getting $40,000 upgraded equipment over the next few months, so we're excited for that. But it's not too big, it's not too small, it's not intimidating. So for first-time gym users or, you know, if you're out there getting closer and closer to the new year and you're thinking about New Year's resolutions, new fitness goals, yeah, this gym is not intimidating. There's never a, a ton of people inside at any point during the day, so you never have to wait for your equipment. It's just the best place, in my opinion, to be if you're just trying to improve yourself in one way or another. And the new owner, Garrett, is awesome, very personable, very helpful, and wants to help you guys out as much as possible. So for the month of October, they're doing a dollar membership sign-up fee. Again, it's a dollar membership sign-up fee for the month of October. Just let them know that you heard about this deal from Through the Keyhole or just from me. Maybe you'll run into me and you can make fun of me. But again, there are about a 1,000 Anytime Fitnesses across the map. So if you don't necessarily live around Uptown OKC, 
you can just come up here, sign up with this gym with Garrett, and then you're able to use any of Anytime Fitness's facilities. There are a ton in the metro. There's a few in Edmond. There's a few in Tulsa. I was just in Dallas a few weeks ago and used an Anytime Fitness in Seagaville. Anytime Fitness and Kaufman. So even if you travel consistently, Anytime Fitness will still be there to help you achieve your fitness goals. And hey, if you are perfectly fine with how you feel, how you look, all those things, that's fine. But just help us out here at Through the Keyhole and go ahead and like Uptown Anytime Fitness on Facebook and Instagram. Give them a follow. We will greatly appreciate that. Peyton, um, it feels weird giving grades to people that are no longer that are going to be with Oklahoma football because they can go in a lot of different ways. But, I mean, special teams struggled at times. Mm -hmm. um, offensive struggled at times. Defense struggled at times. It is as close to, I think, a D-plus performance from this coaching staff. But I'll give them a, I'll give them a C-minus. Yeah, welcome to the uh, – we're back at the Renault household for this podcast. So there's going to be dogs barking. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Hopefully not too much. But a, I'll give them a solid C-minus. Not average, below average, but not awful. Because I don't think you can say 10 and 2 is awful. But it's pretty damn close. Okay. Well, um, I see we're gonna, I see the, the strategy we're going here. Uh, so the coaching staff gets an F from me. They failed um, all the way. I mean, when Lincoln Riley was here, uh, his press conferences were our expectations, our national championship, you know, that stuff he lumped upon himself and on the team. They did not even make they did you know didn't even make the Big Twelve championship. I mean, at that point in time, and they had multiple games in which this OU team could have easily been eight and four, seven five if a couple of 50-50 balls went a different direction. I mean, to me, uh, if you look everything from the rosy perspective, I think you, I could think I could convince myself of hey, there's a lot of obstacles they had to overcome and this or that. Uh, and I could work my way to a C. But the issue is it does seem like they are the ones who put the obstacles in front of themselves. So um, to me, it's just an F. It's just a total failure. Um, and that's before the, um, you know, the, the midnight escape uh, sure. by Lincoln Riley. I, I just don't see how you can see this, this amount of frustration as a team, how it performed, um, underperformed to the level of talent that it had uh, in, in the content within the contextual um you know, comparison of the remaining talent of the other Big Ten, Big Twelve teams, and think that they're anything other than an F, uh, in, in my opinion. I mean, I, you looked at stuff a little bit differently. You saw how maybe players weren't kind of hitting their assignments just right and everything. To me, that also just falls back on the coaching to make sure those guys hit those assignments so they're supposed to. Um, I, I just I can't get off of just giving them a, a complete failing grade, and some of those coaches are coming back. But maybe oh. a different head, maybe a different head head guy paying more attention. Maybe you know, maybe it hopefully it turns things around. I mean, I don't know of. I guess Tib would Tibbs and Kane would they be the only two coaches that you would give anything higher than a C? Well, I, mean, I think I could give individual guys higher than than the F, obviously. But only those um, two, right? Like, because I think when you look at everywhere else, like you talk about regression. I mean, secondary yeah. play. Roy Manning, again, we've mentioned this before. I hate to go on – I'm not going to go on a mm -hmm. rant about this because I do think the guy means well, but he's not a corners coach. And no. people were they, – they were selling him as that, and 
I guess he is selling that he developed Parnell Motley and Trey Brown and those guys, which yeah, is whatever. what it is. Yeah. yeah which is it, whatever. It's part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just, I, I don't know if I look at anybody else besides Tibbs and Kane, man, where I'm like, yeah, like you did, you did well enough to come back. Yeah. I think, I, th- I guess if you look at it from that perspective, trying to really break it down, I'm trying to rack my head. Anyone I could think of who's, who gave me something more, you know, like Kale. Like Joe John, it, Kale. It, it's hard for me to say Kale and, and Joe John to give them Fs because they're put, you know, the, the guys they were coaching were put into systems in which weren't, you know, highlighting them as we saw the, uh, the Marvin Mims tweet <laughs> uh, earlier today or yesterday. Um, but I, I think just purely based on position groups that help this OU team win football games, yeah, it would have to be Tibbs and Kane. And the funny part is, is those two aren't coming back. <laughs> so, sure. um, it, that's just how the uh as um man what movie is it that's that, that's just how the cookie crumbles i guess oh bruce almighty bruce almighty there we go okay i was go. thinking liar liar but my my brain buffalo <laughs> sabers win the cup um quarterback weird because there was still three games this year where the quarterbacks were fantastic two of them were by yeah. caleb williams um, yep. The Kansas State game, the Texas Tech game, and the TCU game, um, the quarterback play was really, really good. Second half, Texas, obviously fantastic from Caleb Williams. Um, first half of Bedlam, fantastic from Caleb Williams. Um, second half of Nebraska, I'll give Rattler a little credit there, even though he missed a curl wheel concept that, again, I don't want to dra- – if you guys – we will do a – once – once I do rehash some tape over the summer, we'll do, I'll give my 30 minutes of Rattler just ranting. Um, but I, I mean, C plus, is that relative to expectation? Well, you're not too far off. Of, I, 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 I can't lump them together. I have to give Rattler a C minus. Mm-hmm. You can't have a high score and get benched. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, you're yeah. already starting in a C, and then I'd have to give him a C minus because he performed as best he could. My ability behind the offensive line, and then I'd probably give um, Williams a, a B minus. Uh, to be honest with you, so that probably gets around to a C plus total. Um, people, you know, I'm a little bit higher just on the idea of Caleb Williams, but he's not quite efficient enough where I would like him to be um, for where the team probably needs him to be. I mean, let's say he was on um, – let's say Caleb Williams was on Texas A&M, who I think should be a, a, a sleeper in the, in the Caleb Williams hot, uh, sweepstakes if he does decide the portal. Um, he can be his, this exact same quarterback. He can throw the ball, complete around 60, 63% of his passes and make amazing plays because the rest of that team around him is just stacked and ready to go. At OU – where the team is transitioning, the roster is transitioning, he's the, he needs to be a little more efficient all the time. Because especially you saw this old line, they weren't shoving dudes around. Kenny Brooks wasn't getting 200, 300 yards. You know, this wasn't happening that way. So more of that offensive production, that onus was placed upon him. And if he wasn't hitting at high rates, the entire team wasn't hitting at high rates. And this, they didn't have the ability to kind of get over that hump. So uh, you know, C minus B minus probably around that C plus range as well. And that's kind of, I mean, that's a little harsh. I mean, you're asking a, a true freshman and potentially he was the best quarterback in the big 12. I mean, B minus. So, um, which is kind of wild. 
he was the best quarterback in the Big 12. I, I get, get me wrong. We're going to dive into that, mm-hmm. the craziness of what was the Fiesta Bowl here at the end. But I I feel very confident in that, like, to come and just straight up say that. Like, if he if if he's back at Oklahoma, he's the best quarterback in the Big 12 next year, and it's not close. Um, I'm with you there. Uh, I think we're on the same page. Running back. This is where, again, you could go and, like, give two individual grades, Peyton, for Brooks and then Gray if you wanted to. Um, oh, yeah. But because that they're lumped together, which makes it hard, I will give them a B. I think whenever you look at – now, you guys, whenever we get through the rewatch of the Alamo Bowl completely, um, you will see Eric Gray – you've heard me say this before. Literally, if he could just stop running into his own players, <laughs> he will be fantastic. It's every game, man. Every game. It'd be like, all right, all he has to do is make one jump cut or, oh, hey, the linebackers both flowed your direction. How about you cut back to the backside lane on some runs? And he just won't do it. He just, I don't know. And the the only reason why Kenny Brooks isn't higher, Peyton, or what would drive this great higher, pass protection for the first, like, 10 games sucked. They were yeah. off. They were awful. Brooks, and that was one of Brooks's uh, calling cards heading into the years, which what should have been is his pass and run blocking was really good. Mm. Uh, from uh, studying 2019 tape, man, he, like, whenever they led block him as well, or Jalen needed him to pass protect, he was fantastic. Um, and then he just struggled this year. And maybe that was rust. Maybe that was, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I'd give them a solid B. Yeah, that, that's kind of interesting to say to hear you say that because I always process when I when I was watching the games that Trey Sermon was much better at uh, picking up the blockers and, and blitzers and stuff like that than Kennedy Brooks was. In well, any way, to be shape, fair, well, to to be fair here, Bowler did have Trey Sermon only pass block for like three straight games. That's true. That's true. But he he would meet a couple of linebackers screaming down the hole and hold his own. I was like. I like that guy. I wish he could run the football. Uh, I wish he'd be allowed to run the football. Um, I, I would probably give Kennedy an A minus. Um, just he he lifted the team on multiple games on his back. Um, I mean, what was his? What did he end up over a thousand yards? Uh, you know, almost broke the uh, OU historical record for yards per carry uh, for a career. I think he was only like point one away or something along those lines. Um, it, it's hard for me to look at those stat, stats and say anything less than that. Now I could be potentially talked into it being a B plus because he's not necessarily, um, oh man, I, I sometimes, the funny, the hard part is I know sometimes you've had players like <laughs> subscribe just to listen to the podcast, which somebody talks trash about them. Uh, Kenny Brooks is, is an impact player. He's not like a quote unquote, you know, a problem. He's not a problem, problem guy. You know, he's not Adrian Peterson. He's not Joe Mixon. He's not, but the thing is, he's very efficient. He's going to drive the offense. Um, so I guess on my worst of days, I can see myself giving him a B plus. But I'll stick a, I'll stick with A minus. And then Eric Gray, a C for the year. I mean, the biggest moments he had were all bad. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? I'm sorry. I, I'm happy they're going to. I'm, I'm happy the Alamo Bowl. I like seeing them use him that way, getting him out. Stop trying to use him as a traditional running back. That's just not how he's. His skill set does not work that way. He needs to be catching wide receiver screens and tunnel screens and doing the. Um, it didn't work out, but that 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 HB toss to start the game, I almost fell on my seat. I mean, just get him in space immediately so he doesn't have to deal with a bunch of traffic. Uh, but other than that, I mean, his his biggest his biggest calling card was botching a punt in Bedlam. 
that's rough. That is true. I, I forgot about that. That is very, very true. Again, like that's what's so important, like about kind of what we do and this and that. I mean, everybody heard me heading in last season, like there was NFL grades out there that we have access to that were saying Eric Gray has a chance to be, you know, like a third round, fourth round guy. And I was just like, man, they ran hardly any gap schemes at Tennessee. So no counter, no power. And when they did, he had the same problems he had this year. Like he never read them right. Never. And was either too early to the whole Peyton or he was too late or was running into his own blockers. I mean, it was just, there was a lot of vision stuff that he's got to have to fix this off season. If he's going to want to have a big year in 2022 wide receiver, not going to be my worst grade of the team. Peyton. Um, it's pretty low though. I'm going to go with a C minus. I, and I don't get me wrong. I understand the availability. I understand the, you know, receivers are very reliant on quarterback and play calling uh, in terms of having success. But I just want to go back to that West Virginia game. And you have Jane Hazelwood blows a route. Marvin Mims failed to come back to the football twice and kept running downfield. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Like, don't get me wrong. I think, I think the world of Marvin Mims, I think that he was underutilized this year, Peyton. But if Hooks and I had a conversation – I would show him tape and be like, is Marvin playing as hard as he, as hard as he is on this play? Is Marvin playing a hundred percent? Is Marvin invested into the game? Because that West Virginia game, there were two plays where if he on a scramble drill, because Spencer Rattler was running for his life from Akeem Mesador and Justin Jefferson and Dante Sills, if he just comes back to the football, you move the chains. Like, yeah, don't get me wrong. had a big play. So I'm going to give it a C minus. I think that's a lot in regards to expectations. And Peyton, Dennis Simmons is one of the most underrated coaches in the country for a long time. He, those last two years, man, receivers just did not look like they used to. Yeah, I mean, he was really good at getting him in the door. <laughs> I mean, you know, he was able to recruit those dudes to bring him in the door. I remember the um... – the 2019 class is that the the wide receiver class three five stars yeah I mean that's the one we are all hung, hung all of our hats on it's like Dennis Simmons best wide receiver coach in the league da 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 turns out none of them are all that great I love with Theo Weiss don't kill me I, I'm actually very happy you're staying you're the one who I projected to be the guy who breaks out of those three um, so you still get you still got another year and crimson cream to prove me to prove me correct um but yeah, I mean, to follow on your stuff, I mean, I, I guess I'll just completely uh, cheap out and mirror you. I'd say a C minus. Uh, there's only one game I remember uh, before the Alamo Bowl in which the wide receivers proved themselves to be worthy of anything um, beyond just Jags, and that was the Texas game. I mean, Caleb Williams threw it to guys, and the guys went up and made plays. That's probably the only game they went out and made plays. Now, I, I may hear some people argue about the TCU game. But I think that was mainly the the – they were just running free <laughs> against TCU a little more than that Texas game. Um, but that's the only one I really, really think of that, um, that really made, made me, you know, stop and think, Oh, wow. We have some special, special guys back there. Um, you know, Hazelwood had that one game where he scored a bunch of touchdowns, but those are all pretty simple run routes and stuff. Those were all big body stuff. I mean, it wasn't anything that made me think, 
oh, there he is. That's that's the NFL wide receiver right there. I mean, the only game that made me think NFL wide receivers was that Texas game, and it was just them breaking stuff open on their own and, and beating guys to get open. But uh, I mean, it was rough. I mean, especially in the Big Twelve when that has to be a position group of strength when you're when you're playing against all these three three stacks and these flyover defenses. I mean, you have to have guys who understand zones, no one to settle, no one to continue through, no one dudes are trailing you. So you have to keep running through the zones. I mean, it, it, it seemed like just like a hot mess out there, to be honest with you, on the wide receiver side of things. I agree. I agree. Before we just go light up this offensive line, I'm going to go ahead and hand Jeremiah Hall, Austin Sogner, and Braden Willis a B. Solid season, fellas. You got your ass handed to you a couple times in the run game. That really hurts. It hurt them. You, uh, but outside of that, you take the uh, Bedlam performance from Sogner, you mix it in with some of Hall and Willis's performances through the year. I think they had a uh, had a solid season. Now, all three of those guys are going to have a nice warm welcome in the NFL whenever a uh, linebacker or defensive end is coming down the block. I haven't posted this video, Peyton, but it's a first or second drive in Bedlam, uh, whichever one that they went on a long drive could have been either one. Um, there was a play where they pulled, they do a guard H-back counter where they pulled the guard and the H-back around. And uh, Tyler Lacey took out three OU players. No, no, not kidding. One of them, I think it was the Jeremiah Hall block. Jeremiah Hall got blown up into the pooler, both the poolers, and Lacey made the play in the backfield. It was amazing. So I'll take that out and just say I'll give him a B. Yeah, I, I'll probably give him a. I'll go. I'll go just a shade, a shade bit less than you. I'll give him a B minus. I, I think you can't remove. Uh, and he's gone now. So I mean, have fun. Uh, have have fun at the at the, you know, the the Mayo Bowl champion team. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't think you can remove Stogner's inability to rise above his station to a certain degree to make plays. Um, he probably needed another year of getting his legs back under him, getting strength back under him. You know, I mean, just the injury that he suffered and, and having to be on and, you know, in the hospital that long and everything, it's it's borderline amazing. He was able to come back, but still maybe it seems like he was back a little too soon, potentially. Um, I would agree is, with that, by the way. Yeah. Willis is probably the top performer of the three, in my opinion. Uh, you know, the Bedlam game, they finally decided to show him off. Um, and I think Hall was just kind of there to a certain degree. He, he did He did well when he was called upon to do stuff. Um, but I mean, as you're talking about some of that stuff, them being introduced to NFL stuff, there's a, a, a nice clip that was going around Twitter showing the Michigan center being pulled and just oh, getting my dominated. Lord. Oh I mean, my God. We're not even talking about NFL guys. We're talking about guys OU is going to be playing against in, in two years. So, <laughs> I mean, that, that position group, if Levy decides to keep that style, uh, which who knows, but needs those guys need to be bigger, stronger. Uh, to be able to hold up on some of those edge guys that OU is going to be walking into because the days of it being like, oh, man, the best defensive player on the team is this weird nickelback out, outside linebacker that Baylor has. It's like it's not going to be that way. <laughs> it's not going to be that way in the SEC. It's going to be the 300-pound dude who's screwing down. So um, it will be interesting to see how that position group kind of gets bolstered up. But I think a B-minus overall is anything um, – that somebody could take me to the lashings about. Here's the offensive line talk. I said this on Friday uh, on with Chisholm Holland. I truly believe this. 
if you build something up and it's the best in the sport, I think you have every right to rebuild it back. Bill Beatonville is going to get that opportunity because this, I know a lot of people, Peyton, I, I don't think you and I are on just like blame everything on Benny Wiley. I do think this is the group that was the most impacted. Um, they just never looked like the guys from the years prior. They never played like the guys that were under the Schmitty regime. Um, they just didn't. And whenever you add that factor into it, it's harsh to give them too bad of a grade. But this is the worst offensive line we've seen since Ty Darlington and Neela Casatati were on it in 2015. And I'm going to have to give them a D plus. I think it was the worst unit on the offense. I don't know if that's too arguable, but it's – man, they just – when you go back and look at games, games that were close, there was just so much pressure on the quarterback in pass pro. There just was. And it wasn't even them getting beat, man, that I think was the most frustrating. It was just picking up simple stunts and twists and everything defenses would do. And you face that literally every week in the Big 12. Now, you face it in the other conferences as well, but they do – you know, the big 12 does move guys. They blitz guys mm-hmm. in different directions more than any, anywhere. And it just, it seemed like a failure from the top down with the offensive line. So the offensive line to me, I'm giving a C to me. They were just the baseline that they should have been. They were an average uh, offensive line. The issue is, is that contextually, OU fans are not used to average sure. offensive lines. Because there are multiple games where OU just ran the ball, just but Lincoln just kept getting away from it, you know, to a certain degree. Or there are multiple games where um, Caleb just sat back there. You know, I, I think the Baylor game, he had plenty, he had multiple stretches of time where he had time to kind of survey the field. And you have mentioned to me, you know, Caleb sitting back there for five to seven seconds is actually a bad thing because he should, have, you know, he should have got the ball out already, uh, and then he got himself into issue. I mean. I think the, the O-line performed well at times and then suffered at times. And and kind of putting those two together, uh, it's hard for me to think they were anything just average, you know, very, very just jag as a as a full unit. So I, I'd give them a C. I, I, the, the issue is a C when the entirety of the Big 12 decided to become a defensive league to a certain degree. Um, that that's It just hurts. <laughs> you know, that, that position group has to get better. Uh, and there was some talk about that stuff during the uh, the semifinal games about OU and fans saying, hey, you know, BCR is not everything and yada, yada, yada. And, oh, well, my God. We you, got... you, and I understand it, but sure. you have to have defensive linemen and you have to have offensive linemen. And if you don't have those dudes in abundance, you have to have a top-level quarterback. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, th- I mean, I think – Those are the two routes. For sure. Yeah. I think it's even what you look at the natural championship game. Like I don't have a strong feel either way, but one team has Bryce young and one team has Stetson Bennett. And it's just like, okay, like they're when it's both equal in that direction. I was more hoofing and hollering saying we need to spend a whole off season podcast talking about what the baseline level of talent that's needed mm-hmm. in regards to, cause like when you do look at national champions, like 2019 LSU had a 54% blue chip ratio, 2016 Clemson. Yeah was under 50%, uh, according to rivals. Um, like, there are teams and the way they're put together in terms of what you're saying. Now, 2019 LSU, the offensive line is having a uh, 2018 OU Joe Moore Award-winning NFL-like c- careers. 
they're all not very good in the NFL. And the yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Alabama 2020 guys aren't off to a hot start either. Um, Alex Leatherwood's getting absolutely whipped up in Oakland or up in uh, in Las Vegas. So uh, well, just look it- at the look at the 2021 Joe, uh, you know Joe Ward or whatever the sure. offensive line. I mean, Michigan could not could not pass the test of the Georgia defensive line, and Georgia wasn't really sending too many extra guys. I mean, they were just kind of beating them. I mean, that, and that's rough. I mean, that's that's damn rough. And you sit there and you think, well, Michigan's got it built out the way they need to. They've got three stars who develop. You have four stars who develop. And offensive line, to be honest with you, you're probably not getting a bunch of five stars and all of them hitting anyway. Offensive line is so, so difficult to figure out what's going to happen. Can these dudes keep their weight? Can they keep flexibility? You know, all that type of stuff. Three stars will become first-round draft picks, much more in offensive line than anywhere else, just because of the physical development and physical maturation. So it's a bit of a crapshoot, but that is the the point of the offensive line coach. You have to have you have to be really get you have to be really good at looking at these raw tools and saying, okay, what's going to continue and what's going to stop. Um, and you know he's kind of in a in a little bit of a rough spot right now with that. But as you said, let's give Bill, you know, let's let's let, let's let Bill ride into the sunset on his own on his own accord and uh, see if he can um, put OU in a good position before he's able to hang it up. Because on paper, when you look at it, and if you just say, hey, if they go Wanya Morris at left tackle, they go Aaron Parks at left guard, Andrew Raymond at center, Chris Murray at right guard, Anton Harrison at right tackle, on paper, that looks great. Like, they have a chance to be a pretty good offensive line next year. But, yeah. again, that's on paper. We'll see what the old uh, offseason has to do. Defensive line is going to get the highest grade, I think, out of both of us. I'm going to give him an A. Uh, real quick, B+. plus. Oh, and that, and that is because I am there being docked by the potential in which they should have been. I, I would say, um, damn it, eight. Yeah, if Winfrey was actually who Winfrey was, this is an A plus unit, but a B plus, uh, I think that's more than fair. You can't say they are in my mind, I cannot give them an A when there are multiple times across the board they just got ran on. You know, I mean, that that's 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 tough or there's multiple times where it's third and 13 you get pressure is one on one beat the guy and get in front of them and they couldn't. Now, some of that's, you know, Redmond missed multiple games, you know, stuff like that. You could argue Nick Minuto wasn't used 100 percent to his best capabilities, uh, but it all kind of gets added in there. So I say B plus. Yeah, my biggest thing was just. Isaiah Thomas and Nick Benito, like, I, I don't know if they win 10 games without those two guys. Like, they were just so impactful no. each, yeah, and every, right. each and every week. And um, like you said, Redmond's out. We got to see some good snaps from Isaiah Coe. Um, should, people should be pretty happy with what they saw there moving into 2022. Um, and like you said, yeah, if Harold Winfrey played like he did the final three games, I, I'm just going to say this from obviously talking to some NFL draft folks over the last couple of weeks, Winfrey may have saved his entire draft grade heading into like what it was heading into the year as a second round guy that can maybe move into the first with a good year. Like, I think that's probably where he ended up. That's how good he was the final three games of the year, which is why it was so frustrating for people like Peyton and I, and everybody out there watching because everybody knew what he was capable of. And not seeing that week in and week out was really, really, really frustrating. But I do think they've, they showed some depth that they're going to be able to take into 2022. 
Jordan Kelly uh, had a big bowl game uh, against Oregon. Guys like that, Corey Roberson, um, that are back in Norman, Josh Ellison, Reggie Grimes, I thought showed in some spurts this year that, and I'll say this, on just specifically on Grimes, Peyton, get your thoughts here on this. He seems a lot more of a fit for what Brent Venables was going to want out of that defensive end spot than he was out of Grinch's scheme. Yeah, if it moves back down towards more of a – I mean, you've talked about it and you've, and you've shown it, that Brent is more flexible than just what it's being painted as. Sure. But if he moves to more of a 4-3 base and that's like 50% of your defense, I think guys like Grime uh, – yeah, I think I think Reggie will, will do good. Uh, I also think um, – is it NRK? Is he still on the team? Yes, he is. I think Nate that type Collins of kabonge. I think that type of body type – will do better in a 4-3 on the edge. You know, you're a little longer, leaner, but you have your hand in the dirt. Like, you're not expected to be, you know, in a two-point stance. Uh, you're not expected to, uh, um, you know, pick up a tight end or something randomly. Your job is to bend the edge. Uh, I think those dudes are going to end up being a lot better suited for that type of um, that type of position. You know, you know, I mean, the hard part about those guys th this year and why some of that people, some of those guys weren't able to fully, you know, form in that way is that, they, you know, you're having to play off ball. You're having to set the edge, not bend the edge. You know, you're having to pick up some of that dirty work and kind of get through that stuff. Um, now they're going to have guys who are kind of over the top, depending on, is Brent more of a 4-3 over or under? He... So he was just like a straight up four guy and just played base. But this final year, he used Xavier Thomas as like a outside rush backer type, like what they used at OU. But I don't know if he's married kind of along the lines of what you said, married one way or the other. And I would say they play over more than they play under. Okay. Well, it mean, yeah. If it's over, then if I have it because right, he my... plays real quick, he plays a four two. When he plays their four two five, they're really they're giving numbers to the strong side. That's over. I'm, I believe I'm on that. I think I'm correct on that. We're gonna get deep in the weeds here on this conversation. Yeah, um, yeah. If he's playing over, then uh, that means you've got the middle linebacker at the A, and then. Um, I can't remember the, the stuff, but yeah, you've got, he'll basically have a, a you know, a Sam uh, linebacker in between that DT tackle and the edge gap right there. So his position will be more about getting to the, it'll, it'll be, it'll be simplified. Let's just say it that way. The position will be simplified and the things he's really good at. And every time he was on the field, he did pretty good at, which just go get the quarterback. Uh, I, I think that that position position becomes a little more simplified for those guys and they're able to perform a little bit better. Um, anytime you can simplify, simplify a position, it just gets easier. I mean, the guys play better. They don't have to think about stuff. They don't have to sit there and think, okay, he's who's picking this guy up? Who's doing that? There's less communication because it just go out, and as the Patriots would say, uh, do your job. Which, Matt, are you a big Patriots fan? I know you're a Duke fan. I, I can't forget. <laughs> no, uh, that would be the Buccaneers. Uh, oh, okay. That'd be the big uh, Tom Brady okay. fan. Big Tom Brady fan. Okay. <laughs> no, no NFL team for me. I just love chaos in the NFL. Okay. Good, 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 good. Yeah. Okay. So based off what I'm looking at right now, because I always say this, Peyton, like when we get into specific like scheme things, every coach, their terminology, terminology and how they handle things is always different. But to your point, what you're asking, so that 
defensive tackle will be lined up to the strong side. So whichever, if there's a tight end on that side or if there's mm-hmm. a fullback lined up on that side of which where it looks like a play could be coming, the they'll have two linebackers, one lined up in the A gap and then one in the B on the run side. Um, it's hard to show it. It's hard to do this with just voice, but I hope everyone followed me there. So yeah, like Jalen Redman would be the three technique lined up over a guard. Yeah. 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 He'd be lined yeah. up for guard, but if so, but under and under would be the Sam linebacker would be almost on the line, almost kind of giving you a bare front to a certain degree. Yeah. That's four, it, three under it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to but get I you. think, I think, yeah, I think Venerables is more wanting his linebackers off the line, mostly if I remember his time at OU. Except on third having, down. That's it. He's a third big, down. Yeah, you're bringing he's a big pressure. third down. Unlike Grinch, he's a massive third down, get into a junk defense look. Just a, um, just a massive bare, hater. Bare front, um, and do this and do that. Which, again, you look at how much like – we're getting off the weeds here again – how much simulated pressure everybody else is doing and how less of it Oklahoma did or how few many times Oklahoma used it. Um, kind of weird to look back on. Uh, but there was a method to Grinch's madness. I'll see if uh, we'll see if it works out um, at USC. Linebacker. Mm, it's tough. I think it's, it's the worst graded unit for me on this defense. I'm going to give it a C-. I think I think I'm with you on that. I mean, Osamoa is probably the only one who was a bright spot, and even him until the uh, final three games. You're going to yeah, you're going to NFL, dude. Uh, I hope you get drafted. Oh, you need to continue the the at least four kids drafted every single year. He may be one of them, but to me, he's like a sixth rounder, seventh rounder type. Uh, He he probably will test pretty well. Uh, He's so compact and small um, compared to like. The thing is, like, OU has OU fans have seen what a first or second round running uh, linebacker looks like. You know, Kenneth Murray, he's not 6'4", he's not 250, you know, running that stuff. He's just a smaller guy. Um, so we'll have to see how that works out for him. But I, I think I'm with you. It's probably the same score there. I mean, there's, there's nothing that made me think, oh, wow. Unless you try to squint your eyes and say Nick Benito was technically an edge slash outside linebacker. Then you we do not kind of treat Nick Benito as a linebacker on this podcast. We don't do that. No, no we don't do no. that. No. It, yeah, we, we we fully believe in edge. <laughs> we uh, we're gonna bully the Big Twelve. Edge. Yes, no, definitely. Nah, I think we're a fan of both. The Big Twelve. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, the Big Twelve. We're gonna bully them by the end of the uh, 2022 year and the final year to make it a be an edge player instead of four defensive linemen and two linebackers on their uh, award list. Anyways, I'm with you. I don't think anybody developed, um, and that's obviously was the biggest thing under Brian Odom. I think a lot of people hung their hats on was development with the way Kenneth Murray played from 2018 to 2019. Uh, Brian Osamoa until along the same lines, Peyton. Now, I think his draft grade was hurt worse. I think with a good year, uh, if he would have played like he did the final three games, you're talking about a guy on a a fringe first-round guy, maybe playing the second round, but any linebacker with bad eyes, um, Peyton's watched for this game for a got about a decade head start on me. Any linebacker with bad eyes does not play in the National Football League. If you can't read split zone, you're not going to play in the National Football League. Kenneth Murray, we said this um, when he got drafted. We all thought the Kansas State game of 2019 was going to knock him out of the first round because of what Kansas State did with their guards in that game. He's now a backup edge player. 
with the uh, Los Angeles Chargers and has moved away from being an inside linebacker. And so if you have bad eyes, you're not going to play. There's not a single linebacker at OU that could stop split zone. Uh, we highlighted it heading into the Oregon game. Uh, that's all Oregon was going to do. They had to prepare for one run play, Peyton. Literally, yep. if all, if all, all they had to do. And OU, uh, Oregon gashed them on it. They probably should have run it more. Anyways, um, to move on from there, I did split the secondary into two because I think it's important. Um, corners, I think, struggled a lot more than the safeties did this year. But I'll give the corners a C. Uh, man, that, that's rough. Uh, I, I'll go C minus there. There's nothing, I mean, they had probably the coolest looking play of the year uh, against no Nebraska, uh, but they're, it, it's so hard to, okay, let me say this. When I say I'm giving them a C minus, I'm not saying they as a human being or a football player is a C minus. The job in which they were asked to do and which we may now know wasn't the best scheme or the best idea for them to do um was performed at a level in which i believe would be a c minus so that's like a weird word salad way of saying hey they can improve <laughs> if the defensive line gets more pressure if you know if they, they have they play a little more simplified schemes and stuff they may be a minuses next year if the exact same guys potentially um but it's just kind of rough to see what was happening can oh you getting just eaten alive over and over again with just the same plays over and over again uh to sit there and say that they as a unit were anything higher than that. And because like, from my perspective, like I appreciate you being coachable and doing exactly what you're coached to do, but there's also a part of it where you can't be a robot. And like, if you know that they're going to run curl flat, your direction, <laughs> literally teams kept doing it at them the entire season. If, if you know, it's coming, it's okay to cheat a little bit. Zach Sanchez was perfect at that. If he felt in the flow of a game a play was coming in his direction, he would play it differently than he normally would. And that's probably why Zach Sanchez is the last DB to be a ball hawk um, at the University of Oklahoma. Safety. I'll go with C+. I think they did well. I mean, there, there are multiple times in which I thought um, the thing is I'm just going to give him a C. I think they performed at the level of an average group, to be honest with you. Every time – Fields made a play on the edge, set the edge or come down. Uh, he was beaten over the top to a certain degree. Same thing of Yale. And Yale being in and out of the lineup as well didn't help out uh, the team. So I, I don't have a lot to say about them other than they're just kind of the same thing as the offensive line. They did their job sometimes. They didn't do their jobs other times, but it kind of washed out at, at the end of the season. Michael Turk gave Burkich until the uh, final four games. I don't know what to do with this. But uh, Michael Turk is by far one of Oklahoma's best players. I know I made a tongue-in-cheek joke about that, but he's a true weapon for them. I'll give them a solid B. I'll give them a B as well. I mean, they, they performed um, what they're supposed to do. I'm also including, um, you know, kickoff returns and stuff like that, punt returns, stuff like that. They only had one. Uh, I think like two horrendous special teams plays as units, you know, the um, – the uh, botched the, the muff at uh, a at, at bedlam and then the uh, fake at iowa state i believe um you know not recognizing that as a team you should have seen that coming uh um so but overall as as those specific players you mentioned probably is a b uh, all the way across the board well actually let's give him a b plus let's give him a b plus i'm with you i know gabe burkich missed a couple important kicks yeah. after he kicked a burrito but he was overwhelmingly good 
for most of the year. All right, let's review these. Coaching, I gave them a C plus. Peyton gave them an F of his lowest grade of anybody. Quarterback, I gave them a C plus. Peyton gave Rattler a C minus and Caleb a B minus. At running back, I gave them a B. Peyton gave them an A minus. At wide receiver, Keegan gave them a C minus. Peyton gave them a C minus. Tight end, I gave them a B. Peyton gave them a C minus. On the offensive line, my lowest grade, a D plus. Peyton gave them a C. Defensive line, I gave them an A. Peyton gave them a B plus. Linebacker, I gave them a C minus. Peyton gave them a C minus. I gave the corner play a C. Peyton gave them a C minus. Safety, Keegan gave them a C plus. Peyton gives them a C. Special teams, I gave them a B, and Peyton gave them a B plus. Matt, who was the most wrong? Where would where where are we where were we the most wrong in all that? Uh, I think special teams. Special teams deserves a higher higher one. If we're just talking punter kicker, yeah, Michael Turk was the second best one in the entire nation. I feel like, and then Gabe Burkich won games for OU this year. Like he's he like they don't win the Tulane game without him. They don't. They definitely don't win West Virginia without him. Kick game winner there. True. I mean, I, they don't win Texas without him either. But most of those drives that Caleb Williams put together, and like when he came in, they ended up with Gabe Burkich field goals. So I don't know. I think I would give them a little bit higher, but I mean, it's special teams. No one cares about the kicker punters. So. That's a good no, point. I, yeah, I hear you on that. I mean, it broken down like that. Maybe I was just being a massive hater. Um, but that's my gig. So, uh, but I'm with you. I also Sorry. didn't take into account like the muff punts and stuff like, and the Iowa state debacle that was their fake punt. So you guys are probably right. All right. All right. Since we got the grades done there, let's get a, uh, an Oklahoma census for five minutes, Oklahoma with the commitment of Javante Barnes, as I have it. With four decisions remaining, more than four, senior decisions remaining, with Braden Willis, Mike Woods, Deshaun White, and Justin Broyles, you include the commitment of Javante Barnes and those four guys. Oklahoma is at 77 scholarships, Peyton. Um, That does not include Gentry Williams, so they could be at 78. So they've got about, oh, let's say six to seven scholarships to work with as it stands today. Now, you have a decision with Caleb Williams upcoming. Um, mm-hmm. do we want to even touch on that if we've heard what like because like I think we all we do is we have what is backed up out there. Like, I mean, I don't have anything else to add besides the fact that the transfer portal, you know, is a real possibility. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing I, I said this earlier, like one, this is the first time we're actually really commenting on this. I want to make that I want to note that because it's important. Um, I think all options are on the table. Like, I don't know if that's going to ease any concerns for anybody, but I, I, I do yeah. think all options are on the table. I, I have personally seen um, emails where his agent has declined NIL deals um, with Oklahoma-based um, uh, stuff. There's a bajillion reasons why he didn't want to do it. Doesn't mean every time an NIL deal gets tossed at a kid, doesn't mean he has to accept it or is going to accept it, uh, especially with the timing of stuff. But you know, I've seen some of that stuff. So I think maybe he is just taking a full breather reset. Um, I know a lot of people are saying, well, why didn't he decommit immediately? Why didn't he do this? Well, 
because he seems to be an upstanding kid wanting to finish the season out with his team. And now he has time to think about it. And there's, there, you know, there's some people saying, well, he just wants to be flashy and showy and do his own thing. Just tell us, leave us alone. It's a lot of OU fans who are in their feelings right now. who are hurt. <laughs> He's a human being. He's allowed the ability to say what he wants to say. Him leaving now versus him leaving in three weeks truly changes nothing for OU. They can still go out and get kids they want to get, uh, especially the grad transfers. They don't really sign anything too binding. So if OU really wanted to, they can go out and get Dylan Gabriel <laughs> to say, hey, sorry, you said like, that's the gig. Uh, you know, they really could do that. I mean, if, if he wanted to, uh, it will set off a him leaving will set off another round of dominoes of other guys entering the portal and exiting the portal. So just be prepared for it, but just give him time. He's a, he played the season out, played it, played it hard out for what he could do and brought OU the best record he could with the situation in hand us dealt to him. And honestly, handled it as professional as you could speak of for a true freshman. I mean, he wasn't pouting on the sideline. He wasn't huffing and puffing and throwing stuff around. I mean, you know, performed like a true pro, to be honest with you. So just give him time and let him do it. Don't, don't, let, don't let your Lincoln Riley anger bleed over to him. And if he leaves, it's not it's not on – I don't even think it's on Jeff Levy or Brent Venables. I don't think it says anything about them. I just think it's the – situation with Lincoln like that I think it all stems from that I mean this never happens now I will say this I don't know if I've told you this that probably should have told you when it was kind of going down but if Lincoln was coming back Caleb would be in the same spot like I know that for 100% certainty like they had they had a lot of questions as a family about where the direction of where Oklahoma was heading and that's not the only guy we've heard that the other one that we were early on hinting about was Marvin Mims. Like if Lincoln was back, I would, I, I can almost guarantee you Marvin Mims would not be at Oklahoma. Kind of saw that on, uh, out on the Twitter sphere. It uh, flooded out thanks to uh, Mark, whoever his uh, trainer is. So, um, but as I mentioned a second ago, Peyton, they got 77, 78 scholarships here. They got about seven, eight, six, seven, eight. They're going to be, potentially open, you know, say Brain Willis, Mike Woods, and those four guys go on. You've got 11 to 12 to work with. Um, I would imagine, based off what I look at and what I'm seeing, um, defensive line, as we know, I think that they're going to hit that hard over the next month in the high school ranks. They don't need mm -hmm. junior college transfers or any grad, too many grad transfers unless they get an edge guy. Um, outside of that, I don't really know where else to allocate the scholarships. I, I really, really don't. Um, linebacker, maybe. But outside of that, they're pretty good for, uh, for 2022 in terms of immediate impact, guys. Where, where were you at? Where, if, you had to, if you had 10 scholarships for OU football and you had to allocate those to high school kids as well as maybe transfer portal kids, what would you do with them? Oh, man, man, man. Uh... I got 10, right? You said 10. Uh, okay. So let, let's say I would do two at O-line just because I think they don't have enough bodies there. High school? Oh, uh, high school, high school. Uh, yes. I mean, you need to keep those dudes in and you need only take, I think, oh, you only got two O-line commits. Yeah. Yep. That's, you can't have, you can't be doing that. <laughs> I, I, I would say at the minimum, you should always be taking four, um, just because you just need that many bodies. Uh, 
This is the second straight year they've taken two. It's just not – you're going to end up with some bad, bad depth, and you just need to start taking kids. And that's what I'm saying. The O-line, you don't know what happens when a 17-year-old that size just physically matures. And when he's 19, when he's 20, it, he's, it's a different human being physically. So some of these running backs and wide receivers, they kind of just get – they kind of look the same to a certain degree. I mean, they kind of – they are who they are to a certain degree. These O-line dudes, they're – you know, they may be 6'6", six, six, 300 pounds, one year and the next year they're six six three hundred pounds, but it's an entirely different body composition. You know, um, I think you just have to kind of f- keep filling that up. Um, defensive back and safety. I mean, honestly, I'm not going to break it full down. I would invest in defensive back and safety, O line, and you've got to get um, a couple more wide receiver bodies just because they've been not hitting the way they should be hitting. I got one for you. That's going to be a little off the wall. I think they need to take a quarterback, even if Caleb comes back. Maybe go find a – what's his face? Zeb Noland out there, a guy that's yeah. grad transferring that wants to learn an offense or start working and coaching and do something because, Lord, if Caleb comes back, great. But if he gets hurt, you're handing it off to either Nick Evers or Ralph Rucker or Micah Bones. And if, you know – Caleb leaves and Dylan Gabriel is the guy they bring in. I would still think they need to go get another quarterback. You know, again, another older guy that's experienced that they can throw into a game knowing that, you know, he's not going to panic. Um, I think that could be very, very important because, I mean, Matt Corral's injury, obviously everybody watched the Sugar Bowl um, or everybody understands kind of what happens, um, what happened. Matt Corral's been playing hurt all year. Like, this wasn't the first time he's gotten hurt at Ole Miss um, this season. And so, with the way Levy's going to run, where it's win at all costs, if it takes the quarterback running it 20 times, if it takes the running back running it 20 times, if it takes them throwing it 50, 60 times, they're going to do it. And so, I do think they're going to need to allocate one of those scholarships to a quarterback, um, at least an old guy, maybe get him off the books here pretty quick, um, where it's not hurting you in scholarship total or anything like that. But I, uh, that's the only thing I would add. I think, I think that's kind of where they're at. Now, we'll dive after the second signing day. I'm sure we'll come back to this conversation and, you know, see where they're at and do this and that. But uh, quick shout out was sent my way. You know how things are out there. Um, we also are going to use this segment to talk about finalizing the coaching positions. Maybe they have it filled, and maybe it was the uh, guy after all that everybody thought it was going to be in uh, Todd Bates, and shout-out Soonerscoop.com and Josh McQuiston for that. Boy, they need this one. No, I'm kidding. But before that gets back to them, they don't need this one. They're doing just fine. But uh, sounds like it uh, could be Todd Bates from Clemson, be the defensive line coach. And uh, make sure you go subscribe to Soonerscoop.com. Hey, what do you think about that? It makes more sense, and – Jump in immediately, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't follow the, the tea leaves as much as, as, as you guys do. Uh, it makes more sense than getting the uh, Cincinnati Bengals coach <laughs> uh, and, and dragging him out to, to Norman. Uh, it, it, it's the more logical answer of all of this. Now, I'm not trying to say, oh, you didn't try to swing for the fences. That's something I want to be perfectly uh, clear on. But I wanted Todd Bates to be the D.C., so I'm very happy if he's going to be defensive line slash I'm assuming he'll be something like DL slash associate head coach or something for a title bump. 
But that's who I wanted to be defensive. Co-DC title, co-recruiting yeah, coordinator, like co-administrative yeah. director, whatever it takes to get this guy away from Clemson. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's right. Because, I mean, this is a dude who I wanted leading the defense because in the Big 12 and the SEC, everything starts up front first. Um, I, I know it was really kind of cool to say, no, we should be building from the safeties down. Um, I, I think we're seeing more and more and more that that works for a certain ability. It's like Baylor if Baylor played Alabama and Georgia, they would have been utterly dominated. <laughs> I mean, they would have played well. They, they, you know, it would have been like a Cincinnati. I don't think they would have lost by 50 or anything like that. You would have just seen the size and strength and talent just lean on them and wear them down so much to where their very lack of offense, they would have never had a chance to hold up uh, across the board that way. So you have to start building that way. You have to start up front. The idea of building it not from up front is basically uh, uh, cope. I mean, if we're going to go like Twitter uh, online verbiage, it's very, very, you're, you're drinking a lot of copium trying to figure, hey, let's just build it for safeties. Oh, we can't get I these, had no idea what you were saying. I had zero oh, clue. You got to get it. You got to get it. You got to get online more. Um, you know, you're, it's, it's a big, it's a big, it's, it's a big coping mechanism. To, because you, the reason why you build out from safeties down because you can't go get defensive tackles and defensive ends. Sure. Uh, that should never happen at OU. Uh, so if you're doing that, you're just shooting yourself in the foot to a certain degree. Um, but it has to move that way. So I was very, I'm, I'm, if that's who they hire, I'm excited because I wanted him to be in an even more elevated role than it seems that they're actually hiring, hiring him in. For sure. For sure. Our, uh, our boy Miguel Chavez has hit me back once so far. So we'll uh... – no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This is, uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, no, I I think whenever you look at it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I will say, Todd Bates, I think, was set to make $750,000 at Clemson um, on a pay raise for a two-year deal. Turn it seed. One word. Yeah, getting it done. And then OU also picking up the um... – University of Ellen, I'm sorry, University of Louisiana and Monroe. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're you're DC right. as a defensive analyst. I mean, that also, so apparently, I cannot remember that guy's name. Uh, Brewer. Who, who's that? Brewer. Xavier so apparently, Brewer, Brewer, maybe? Xavier Brewer. That's correct. Uh, apparently, via Google, he was making $80,000 a year to be DC. <laughs> um, so that kind of gives you the range in which it seems to be OU is going to be paying its analyst. That's got to be six figures at that point in time. Um, to me, I don't know what they were making, but that's 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 a good that's a good show of investment to to the full football program, in my opinion. If they're if they're pulling not just position coaches but defensive coordinators from other places, and they're being put in positions they're not even on on field roles. I mean, that's that's what Alabama does. Um, you know that that's that's what Georgia does. So that will be very beneficial if this is the the modest of operation. Or modus of op, uh, operate. Op, I was trying to sound smart. If that's how OU is going to uh, <laughs> operate in the in the future, Todd Bates got a three year contract in December. Man, they're paying out of their ass for this guy if they're bringing him in. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope he'd it happens. Be, I mean, you pro- he'd have to make he'd have to be making at least nine hundred thousand, and they have to have bought out his contract. So they probably spent anywhere between two to three million right up front to get this guy. Mm-hmm. That's a major difference. 
it's, I mean, it's, it's the level of investment that we said. It does seem like OU is willing to do, just not willing to do for Lincoln Riley. <laughs> mm. I don't know what they're going to do at corners, Coach, man. Um, obviously, a lot of the hot names a day, they're at Georgia, the lie at, um, at Alabama. Um, those are the two kind of names that have been leaked or not leaked, linked to the job. I don't know. Like, I think that one's a little more of a mystery than even mm-hmm. the defensive line coach at this point. And what's funny is, is Alabama fans are like totally convinced that this new corners coach isn't any good. He was going to be the damn defensive backs coach for the Eagles. It takes more than one year, guys, to develop it does. and do things. Like it takes time. He was going to bring in Elias Ricks. Has uh, he been uh, signed on with Alabama yet? I'm not for sure. I know he's, it says he's portal to them, but yeah, there's, there's, it, it depends on, he wouldn't be a grad transfer. So if he, if he's portal, then he's there. He would have signed his uh, NIL or NLI. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. two having the exact same letters is ridiculous. Oh, no, for sure. No, well, we might, well, what has to happen is I don't, have you watched much Northwestern football in the last two years? Uh, other than, I will say this. I have watched them before. They were very, very good at making you play left-handed and trying to make you beat them over the head like a baby seal. I'm like, you're going to have to kill us. <laughs> you're going to have to kill oh, us good. with a stick. Uh, and they're really good at doing that. The guy that's with the Browns, the corner, he like he was mm-hmm. fabulous, fantastic. Um, Greg New- uh, uh, Newman. Newsom. Newsom. Greg, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brandon Joseph, the guy that's transferred there, Peyton, he's better. He is a monster. How Northwestern ends up with some of these guys, I will never understand. But we must not let him go to Alabama. They're already going to be so oh, good. Oh, he's going to Alabama. No, I know. They're, they're already going to be so good that they don't, they don't need any help. Like, you know, every, every time around this year, and we're about to die, we're, this is a perfect segue into the, how we get out of here tonight. Um, every year around this time, I kind of have my team that I always kind of trail for the whole year going. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it would be wise of anybody not to spend any futures money on Bama. They're going to, they're going to be the top. They're going to be the team, but dude, they're going to be loaded next year everywhere besides wide receiver, which again, I'm not concerned with Bama and wide receivers um, mm-hmm. all that much, but Oh man, they lose Neil at left tackle and EQR at right guard, and that's it. Um, now those will be two big losses, but they return almost everybody on that defense besides two oh two oh, Phil Mathis. Oh, they're going to be freaking loaded. It's not even going to be fun watching them play football next year. Like halfway <laughs> halfway through the year, they're just going. They should just be crushing people. So, but um, that's kind of where we're at. All right, boys. Uh, Matt, hop in here. I want to get your opinion, thoughts, and opinions first. New Year's Day football. What was your favorite game? There, we had a ton of them. Oh man, I feel like it's got to be the Ohio State Utah game, man. The Rose Bowl. That was awesome, man. I mean, I did like watching Oklahoma State come back uh, against Notre Dame. I thought that. I mean, that was awesome. That was awesome to watch. Anytime uh, Notre Dame loses, it's a good. It's a good time. It's a good time for sure. Um, Sugar Bowl. I mean, it did kind of take the shine off it with uh, Corral getting hurt. I will say I, I didn't enjoy that game as much. Uh, it was cool. You did to see. everything the right way, Matt. 
right. everything right. the right way. Right. Um, but no, man, the Ohio State Utah game that was that was awesome, man. Man, Smith and Jigba having that kind of day, like, I mean, what do you even do at that point? Not you, even that. By like, the way, OU offered Jackson Smith and Jigba Matt a day before he committed to Ohio State. That's a okay. failure. That is an absolute failure. But I mean, and it's crazy, right? Like you have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson both opt out. And then you got Smith and Jigba. You got a uh, blast from recruiting pass. And Becca Ibuka uh, sure. made some catches. Um, and then uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. <laughs> like, yeah, then Peyton, just they're just reloading. 33 to 50 years old in an hour. Yeah. 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 Uh, that last name I didn't I didn't catch or recognize. I don't know who that one who that one is. <laughs> no, um, no, no, no. I don't say that name. <laughs> That's similar to, similar to uh, uh, Bronny James not wanting to wear uh, not wanting to wear his dad's number because he doesn't want people to know. Uh, doesn't want people to know who he is. Like, dude, your name's LeBron James Jr. Like, I mean, yeah. I don't. Sorry, man. People are gonna know who you are. <laughs> yeah. So that Ohio State game, it was so funny. We were talking about it earlier. Like they, they literally kept playing. Like they, when Jackson Smith and Chibbo would line up in the slot, they would play cover two. When he would line up literally anywhere else, they'd play cover one. And CJ Stroud knew that the entire game and kept going at it and kept going at it and kept. It's like it's it was it was simply amazing. Peyton on the uh, semifinal games, we touched on Michigan Georgia. How shocked were you? I was pretty surprised. I I didn't think Georgia would do that to Michigan. So I want to answer your first question first. Go ahead. O- Oklahoma State Notre Dame was my favorite game because that was oh, more. I, of a I didn't ask you that though. I'm no, sorry. it's fine. That was more of a football game. Utah Ohio State game was a very fun TV product, but there wasn't a lot of stopping each other. <laughs> Notre Dame OSU was more of a football game entirely. Um, okay, now continue. Um, but the, I thought the Michigan game would go one of two ways, and I mentioned that in some of our before we hit it. Michigan, team of destiny. They've done all these things. It's going to keep going. Or two, they did all the things they were going to do already, and they were emotionally spent. Turns out, they did all the things they were going to do already, and they were emotionally spent, and that's all that they had. And that's fine. It's all the stuff. I mean, they were the, the, the broadcast was pumping them up. First Big, 12, first Big Ten championship in a long time. Beat Ohio State in first time in forever. You know, they came back and beat Frank Teams. In the moment, there's going to be people say, Michigan, oh, my God, fraud, da-da-da-da-da. That's, that's a superior season, and they Michigan should be extremely happy about that. They're going to hang banners. Those kids are getting Big Ten championship rings. Um, it's everything you should hope for out of this thing. That's just where the team ended at that point in time. Um, so I had the 50-50 shot on that. I, did, I, I didn't think it was going to be like a, a back and forth or trading blows because Michigan just doesn't have the ability for that. I thought maybe – Georgia would maybe be caught looking ahead, hoping they get to Alabama, thinking only about Alabama and the revenge factor, and maybe miss something on Michigan. Uh, but it turns out Georgia is just uh, – if, if you cannot stretch the field on them, uh, you're just going to die. <laughs> that's just, that's just, and that's how it turned out. I did not expect them to win the way they did up front. I mean, they – it was a massacre. There was a stat midway through the third quarter, Peyton, Someone put out there when Georgia rushed three, they had gotten home on pass plays. They had gotten home 50% of the time. It was like midway through the third quarter when they rushed three. It's just, it's a whole nother world. So on the Alabama Cincinnati game, I was going to comment on that first. 
So Saban got a lot of pushback on the whole, like, you know, they gave us everything they wanted. Literally, people, if Cincinnati had any quarterback play in that game, and I'm glad I was on and we talked about Desmond Ritter before that game started and how mm-hmm. he is very overrated, and it has been for two years. Um, like, if Cincinnati had any good quarterback play in that game, like, they have a legit chance. They got, they got everything. They got multiple stops. They got, yep. a turn, they got a turnover. They played fantastic pass defense, which is what we expected heading into that game. Um, I'm heading into this national championship game. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to blindly pick Georgia to win this game because I really, really need mm-hmm. Georgia. To win. I really, really, really want Georgia to win this game. But I do worry, like Alabama got from the, whenever Cincinnati would bring pressure um, from their tight fronts and all the fun stuff that they do up front, Alabama struggled. And they had a couple guys get dinged up in that game along the offensive line. Now they ran the football well, but they don't, they haven't ran the football well for much of the season. So that's not normal. And then it was like a reverse of the SC championship game, man. Like Bryce Young just did not look comfortable. And that concerns me for them heading into this game, which again, whenever I say that now go buy your Alabama money line tickets. Cause they're underdogs in this game. Mm-hmm. So everything I said, is just going to reverse on itself, but it does work. Like when you talk about needing to beat Alabama and Georgia and what does it take to win and to beat those guys, if you played them 10 times, how often, you know, what does it take to win four of those games? Like, if you put a good quarterback on Cincinnati in that game, like they probably lose. Now they won by 21. So, I mean, that's kind of a stretch there, mm-hmm. but he had five, six tip passes at the line of scrimmage, missed yep. three, four big throws um, that could have either kept drives alive or maybe even scored touchdowns. We're getting, it's hard to say a team is, has flaws with how talented Alabama is, but they seem kind of like heading into this game that the way Georgia played against Michigan and the way that they were able to, those coverage busts didn't happen uh, until the very end. The, all the things that I mentioned about the SEC championship game where Dan Lanning was, it was very obvious. He was not hundred percent focused on the SEC title game. I feel a lot better about Georgia heading into this game than I felt about him the first game. Is that how where how where out of place am I there? How far away am I on that? Well, I want to shout out. Uh, I believe it's Parrish Walton, one of the Twitter guys I follow. Sure. He he broke it down pretty clearly. Uh, Cincinnati decided to do what A and M and Auburn did, and Al, uh, Georgia when they first played Alabama decided to, to try to do what Arkansas did, but try to do it better. I don't think they're going to try to do the Arkansas game plan (laughs) again. I think they're going to play their normal style of defense, which is a little more front loaded. And that that's what you're going to see. I think they're going to be a little more constricting and a little more uh, bruising up front instead of trying to play. Cause the thing is, if you're not used to playing that flyover type defense, if that's not your base defense, you're going to get coverage bust. You're, it, it spreads you out so wide. You're going to have a lot of gaps up the seams and stuff. All those things Alabama took advantage of. Uh, it was just free real estate, to be honest with you, um, for that first game. I do not think Georgia tries to replicate that scheme again. To be, And I think it was probably smart and landing, outsmarting themselves, pun intended, uh, thinking, hey, we need to zag. We need to zig here because they think we're zagging. And it's like, no, just play your best defense and adjust as needed. Don't completely overall everything. So I think it's going to it's not going to be a blowout this time. Um, 
But I, I mean, honestly, I think Georgia took their best shot and knows what it is. And if Stetson Bennett plays the way he did against Alabama, oh the way my he did God, that Georgia, third and three throw was stupid. If he, he doesn't was, make I mean, that. If he squinted, he Good. If he was squinted, if you squinted, that was Baker Mayfield out there running around, picking up first downs on the legs when he needed to, not really knowing how to slide properly. I mean, it's, it was him all the way. You're like, who's this little dude walk on running? I mean, it's the exact same story. Walk on kid coming in here, doing it all. I mean, it's a little bit different because he waited his turn and everything, but he, and I guess I never realized just how small he actually is. I mean, the oh, dude's, he's really small. I mean, the dude's tiny and he's running around. He's making lines, juking linebackers in an open field and stuff. And I mean, if he pulls that off against Alabama, that's that's the type of quarterback play you have to have to beat Alabama. You can't just be back there. I mean, you know, just like lob and bomb stuff. You have to stress their defenses in ways um, that can't, just can't happen. You look at the quarterbacks that have beaten um, Alabama, they're all pretty much one type. The only time it's been different was the A&M game this year in which uh, A&M just kind of beat them up and their quarterback blade, you know, eyes out. I mean, blacked out. But other any other time, it's basically been you've got a quarterback who can move around and, and, and lob bombs once he's moved around. So I think I think it's going to go Georgia's way this time. And not like I don't have any money on it or anything. So I think George is gonna hey, hey, yeah. I don't I, I don't know if I'd bet it. <laughs> whoa, let's not let's not go too crazy. I don't have the money to be betting on stuff yet. <laughs> but uh I would be glad that I go literally the first odds come out last year and have a uh, have a champion picked. Uh let's let's wrap let's wrap this up. Um final couple thoughts here. Let's talk about the Oklahoma State Notre Dame game. You touched on it a second ago, because Oklahoma State loses Godlewski at center. He didn't play in the Notre Dame game. Um, and mm-hmm. they lose Josh Sills at left guard. They lose Trey Sterling at safety. They maybe lose Tanner McAllister. They had two players in the portal playing on their defense in that game. That was really, really weird. Um, but they lose Sterling, lose Holmes, and Harvell Peel and McAllister in the secondary. Uh, Peyton, Oklahoma State is weirdly heading into a year with expectations. Dude, they should just stop it. Like, Mike Gundy should call the Oklahoman. Mike Gundy should call into every oh, radio yes. show. Hey, Spencer's back. I get it. He sucked this year. He played awful in the Fiesta Bowl. Just don't talk about us at all. Um, man, I was impressed. I thought I didn't think they'd get off the mat in that game. And the fact that they did speaks to this. To the Benny Wiley Jerry Schmidt conversation, Rob Glass won Oklahoma State a Fiesta Bowl. Oh yeah, they that those kids are so mentally tough. You can tell that in that second half, Notre Dame was gassed, and Oklahoma State mm-hmm. just kept going. And I was super super impressed. And I think even uh, Brady Brady was uh, turning uh, cheering on the Pokes on Saturday or uh, whenever that game was going. I think we all were impressed. Yeah, that, that, that was my favorite game and the most impressive game on both sides. I mean, Notre Dame didn't just fold completely. They kept playing the entire time. They got stops when they needed to. You know, Spencer Sanders got stops when, uh, you know, played well when he needed to. Um, it, it, was, it, was just a, it was the best overall football game. You had two teams both making stupid decisions. You had two teams making great decisions. You know, defense was playing well on both sides. Offense were playing well on both sides. So I think that was probably the best one all around. 
but talking about hype train, the dude who I want to be is Cameron Rising's agent for next year. Oh, he's about to nil blow up because he everyone knew if you really watch football you're thinking utah took off the moment he was in there but it's kind of like yeah it's utah whatever but then he does on the rose bowl on that stage against that team um before he got knocked out it's like you know there's gonna be people flooding uh, you know put putting money on him <laughs> this coming year I mean, I think putting money on Utah. I know you saw me yeah. tweet this out during that game, but they they return almost everybody. They lose the Lloyd guy at center, or not center, their, their Mike Backer. Dude, when you see some of the clips, the all 22 and wide view clips that come on during draft process of that guy, I've studied their defense twice. It was frustrating. I saw the same defense in both of those games as I saw in the Rose Bowl, which is a little concerning. Um, but at the same time, this Lloyd guy, Peyton, Oh, my God. In the second half against Oregon, he took over the game. They used him as an edge rusher. He played Mike. He was shooting gaps. He was knocking running – Oregon's running backs were getting knocked backwards in the backfield, like not able to embrace for any hits or anything. It was so, so impressive. But um, outside of that, uh, we missed anything. I don't think uh, I don't think we did. Big 12 win 4-2. Uh, and two. Had a really good showing um, in bowl season. SEC – had the worst showing I think they've had since the 60s, 70s, 80s or something around during that time. Someone tweeted out, Pac-12 goes 0-5. You hate to see, like, I, I you really, really just hate to see that. Those people on the West Coast, they, they just, it seemed like for the last year, oh, yeah, we're not a problem. Oh, yeah, we're not a problem. Oh, Oregon wins in Columbus. Oh, yeah, we're, you know, this is just a cycle, this and that. I don't see a... Don't get me wrong. USC in about three years is about to be dumb talented. I understand that. Oregon is going to chance – even next year, I think Oregon's got a chance to be pretty good. Um, they are, All of their offensive linemen announced they're returning, by the way, which is just not normal, um, especially considering Cristobal leaving with the offensive line coach mm-hmm. kind of leaving. It's a little bit shocking. Um, I get all that. I just don't see a light at the end of the tunnel because when USC and Oregon, they are going to continue to get more talent and get better. But so is Oklahoma, and so is Texas, obviously. And my God, so is Texas A&M. They landed Harold Perkins today, and their recruiting class is just bananas. Everybody the else one recruiting the- class of all time. All Oil time. is all. Gas prices are also really high, Pete. Hey, let's go. What's Oklahoma? What do you do in Oklahoma? Yeah, they're they're taking their time, but, but I will say, you know, there's a lot of Twitter talk about saying, hey. What are we going to do about this? It's only SEC teams winning. It's only teams from the South who are winning. That's why I always say Oklahoma's part of the South. Um, you know, <laughs> we're the only ones winning these games. And, and one, of the way how, one of the ways this can happen is, like you said, the Pac-12 can wake the fuck up and start getting those quarterbacks and stop letting them go to Georgia and Alabama and you know, stop letting them go to these teams. I mean, I, th- I think the next two rec- next two QBs for those both teams are from California. I mean, if the Pac-12 can just say, let's just keep our own guys in our own states, the SEC starts looking a lot more mortal. They start looking more like the, the mid-2000s and the, the early, uh, early teens where they were winning, but it wasn't like, oh, this is just hands down the, the top guys. But when they're, when they're allowed to basically get all of the SEC recruits and then walk into California and handpick the guys they want and walk into Texas and pick the hand guys they want, 
you know, you're, you're just letting it happen to a certain degree. You have to figure it out. And, you know, and I hate how, how it worked out for Oklahoma, but kudos to SEC for seeing that and saying, yeah, the, the issue is, the issue isn't the issue everyone's having is just a recruiting issue. They can't hold these dudes in, you know, Oregon having to be super, super, you know, national and it's recruiting. Just go get the California kids and then, then go get the guys you want outside of that. If you're having to build 80% of your staff or 80% of your class, by going national, it's just not going to work for you long term. So you have to be able to get these kids that are local to you and, and move on from there. Um, but it's just rough, man. To me, that's the because the only way to really fix it is to cap cap scholarships or cap, you know, player movement or something like that. You can't. I don't think you legislate that. The problem. I hate. I hate the idea of a free market libertarian. So please, you know, flame me if you are one. But that's probably the only way college football works is if everyone's getting what they need to get on their own merits. <laughs> and then, it, the, you know, the talent situation kind of levels out. I think that's the hope. I think if anything they have to cap, they have to cap NIL, like in terms yeah. of what guys can make. Um, but let's, uh, let's have that next Sunday. We've got, a, we've got a kind of a free Sunday podcast to talk about those things. Let's talk about, uh, we'll preview the national championship, talk about some blue chip ratio stuff as we head in the offseason what that's going to mean with the transfer portal era and a lot more other things. You guys listen to this far, please go leave a comment, subscribe to the podcast and also leave a five-star review. We greatly, greatly appreciate that. You want more of us. You want film, you want uh, write-ups. You want this, you want that. You can go to patreon.com slash through the keyhole subscribe. We've got some fun stuff. Um, I got my guests for the next month and a half written down, going to get after it. We're going to do some exit interviews. I know Peyton's got an awesome guest lined up for this week, um, which will be up on the website as well. And again, that's patreon.com slash through the keyhole. All right, let's get out of here, guys. For, uh, for Matt Burton, for Peyton Guthrie, for I, for through the keyhole. Thank you guys for listening. Boomer! Boomer!